Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. Have I got a treat for you, everybody? Yes, I do. On the 7th of July, 1795, Private John... Carberry joined the 2nd Royal Tyrone Militia. He then joined the 40th Regiment of Foot in the early 19th century. This was the start of a family association with Britain's military that remains to the present day. For generations following, we think it might be a world record. Please get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere you want uh, and let me know if you think your family has had over 200 years of continuous military service, as you'll hear in this remarkable podcast with his descendant, Paul Darren, who himself served in the 1980s. There are few conflicts and virtually not a decade in the intervening 200 years when a member of this remarkable family were not serving king or queen and country. Uh, I'm very grateful to uh, Paul Darren for getting in touch with me and bringing this bringing this podcast to my attention. If you guys have got an amazing story, don't forget, get in touch on Twitter. I'm always on the lookout for new uh, podcast topics. And this is one that came to me and I'm absolutely thrilled that it did. Um, Paul's family are going for a Guinness Book of Records entry. They're talking to the National Army Museum in London about some kind of recognition there as well. It really is, as you'll hear, completely extraordinary. Lots of the conflicts that Paul's family have been involved in feature in documentaries on History Hit TV. We've got a digital history channel. You go to History Hit TV. Now, we've had a deal on to get people through the lockdown. It looks like it might be extended. So if you now use the code, we've got an, an even better deal now. If you use the code POD3, P-O-D-3, this offer will be available for the next few days. You'll get a month for free, and then your first three months, just one pound, euro, or dollar. So this is now four months for just three pound, euros, or dollars in all. I mean, which is going to take us to the end of the lockdown, I think, I hope. Um, so please, please. Uh, head over to History Hit TV and use the code POD3. Enjoy this podcast about Paul's illustrious family. And please get in touch if you think you've got an even longer record of service. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Now, you've got, I mean, tell me. It's got to be. Do you think your family are a record? How many generations back have you traced? Um, there's eight. I'm, I'm the ninth. So is continuously. So that's uh, every decade from 1794 up to me. Um, we're we're missing in the 189 uh, the 1990s. But apart from that, every decade, every 10 years from 1794, uh, every my ancestors have been in uniform continuously. Wow. So it's not only an unbroken chain of ancestors, but it's actually in terms of military service as well. That's extraordinary. Yeah, military service. Yeah. So it's eight monarchs continuously. So we've gone from George III all the way down to Elizabeth II. Let's go all the way back. So who's the first one that you've managed to trace? Uh, well, it's two-sided, Dan, because you've got soldiers married the daughters of soldiers. So 
The earliest is 1794. That's my fourth great-grandfather, uh, great-great-grandfather. He was um, in the Tyrone militia. He, came, he comes from the town of Clogger in the county of Tyrone in Northern Ireland. And he joined the, the second Tyrone militia. Um, in 1794. Now, in 1798, there was the Irish Rebellion. So he then uh, was involved at the Battle of Vinegar Hill. Um, and then with the Napoleonic Wars in 1808, February, the 7th of February 1808, they were called upon to enlist into the regular regiments of the British Army. And he went into the 40th Regiment of Foot. And what was his name? Let's give him a name. Uh, his name's John Carberry, yeah, Private John Carberry. And so where, where did he serve in the peninsula? He went across with uh, Wellington, which is uh, Wellesley then, uh, in 1808. He was at the Battle of... All the battles from uh, up to 1812. So that was Vermeera and Talavera. And then he was killed... On the 19th of March, um, he was defending, um, he was a grenadier, so, you know, he was one of the tallest lads, and uh, he was defending the earthworks around Badihor, and the French, the French attacked, and he was killed in that action, and then he had a son, his son followed on from there, on that, in, in February, actually. All right, so that's the siege of Badihor, that, okay, that, that was a, a brutal, bloody siege. Okay, so the next, so the next generation, tell me about them. So his son uh, joined in on a 20, um, we believe he, on his Waterloo records, it says the 1st of January 1809, but we've got his attestation of the 24th of February, which he, we believe is his birthday um, on 21st of February, 24th of February 1812. He, was, he joined in Clogger again, um, went to uh, Hull, from Hull he went down to Portsmouth, went across and he was in the Battle of Victoria, 1813, uh, the Battle of San Sebastian. He was wo wounded at the Battle of San Sebastian, the storming of San Sebastian. He spent 109 days in the regimental hospital. Uh, it kept him out of the next few battles and he was at the capture of Bayonne on the 14th of April, 1814. He then came back to England was discharged because of the wounds, we believe. Uh, but then he re-enlisted when Napoleon came back for his 100 days. He enlisted into the 40th, the 2nd Battalion, transferred to the 1st Battalion, went over with Major Hayland um, and was at Waterloo. He then went, he then went from there, occupation of Paris, uh, Glasgow, where he had his first son, um, Ireland, and then on in uh, August of 1823, he sailed on HMS Castle Forbes, a guard on a convict ship to New South Wales. Then from New South Wales, he then uh, went on HMS Cumberland to Tasmania. And he was in Tasmania from 1825 to 1829 when the regiment was then moved to India. Um, he was in India. He died of disease in 1835 in uh, just outside Bombay. Right, so he saw he saw a huge amount of action, and and who's so the next one? The next one is well, the next one is 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 the, he had he had a few children. He's he had a son, which is my great great uncle, and he followed it. He, he joined the army at 13 in the same regiment, the 40th Regiment of Foot. 
in India, in Punar in India. Um, the year later, on the 22nd of November, he then went into, uh, as, a, as a man soldier, as, as a, uh, a private, uh, he was at the capture of Karachi, uh, the, uh, the first Afghan war, Battle of Maharajapur, and he went all the way to, uh, came back, went to India, and he died of disease in, uh, in Ireland, in Dublin, uh, Richmond Barracks in 18, he was a sergeant, Sergeant John Carberry, uh, in 1849. Now his daughter, now John Carberry was at Waterloo, his daughter married my third great-grandfather, and that's where the lines joined. So my third great-grandfather was Joseph Darren, the same name as me, um, and his father was uh, joined the Marines in uh, the 19th of December 1811. Um, he was a whitesmith by trade. Uh, in January 1812, he was uh, on board HMS Prince of Wales, the second-rate 98-gun, and was with... Uh, they sailed to the Mediterranean with HMS Caledonia, HMS Boyne, under Sir Edward, uh, Edward Pellew. Um, he was at Port Mahan, and then they were, um, they stormed the fortress of Cassis in 1813, and he was in the capture of Geneva. He came back, he was on the ship for two and a half years, two years, six months, uh, came back on shore, and with the reduction of the army in 1814, he because he was a whitesmith, he stayed behind and was made, became the armourer of the 1st Division Royal Marines. He taught his son that trade, and his son, in 1840, joined the 40th Regiment of Foot. OK, so his son joined his grandfather's regiment. No, no, so his son, his son is Joseph Darren, so you've got... This is where it's confusing. So you've got Marianne Carberry, who's the Carberries that came down from Waterloo. They were in India. They were in the 40th as well. Yeah, so, but his son, so his son, their son joined the same regiment that her dad had been in. Yeah, that's, so keeping it on the family. All right, so what, talk, tell me about, what's the son called now? So the son's called Joseph Darren. So you've got Marine Sergeant uh, Joseph Darren, who was uh, the 1st uh, the Division Royal Marines that, that stormed the fortress of Cassis. Um he, he taught his son to be an armourer because it was his only son. His other two children had died. So as the armourer of the First Division Royal Marines, from a young age, he taught his son to be an armourer. So in 1840, his son joins the army into the 40th Regiment of Foot. And on the 16th of May, 1840, he's, he's sent to um, India on HMS Dartmouth. Um, he arrives in September. He's then with my great uncle, so you've got Joseph Darren and John Carberry, both sergeants, one armour sergeant, one sergeant, they go into Afghanistan, first Afghan war, a battle of Maharajapur. So the daughter of John Carberry marries Joseph Darren in India, in Morocco, in 1843. Uh, and they stay, so that generation comes down. So they join, the, two, the two families join together, the Carberrys and the Darrens join together by marriage. From there, they go to, they come back to England, they go to Ireland in 1847. Um, in 1852, Joseph Darren and Marianne Carberry, with their children, go to sail on HMS Falcon to New South Wales. No, no, Victoria, actually, to Victoria in, uh, with the new, with the discovery of uh, the gold in uh, um, Ballarat. And he's in charge of... Um, uh, He's literally in charge of, of uh, quartering the troops, 
and then he's put in charge of of building in charge of public works of building uh, Victoria Barracks. So the 40th built D, uh, D, D block of Victoria Barracks. And he was actually in charge of, maybe because he was an armourer, maybe because he used a forge, I don't know why, but he was actually put in, it's actually in the, the Victoria Gazette, he's put into, in charge of uh, building Victoria Barracks. In 1860, they moved to New Zealand for the Second Maori War, and he's in the Second Maori War. In 1862, he leaves. Now, he had a son, which is my second great-grandfather, and he joins a completely different regiment. Okay, he's branching out now. And so he branches out. So he goes into the 30s Kents. Um, he's in militia before that. He's in, he, for some reason, he's down in, he's down in Somerset, and he's, um, he joins the uh, Somerset Light Infantry Militia in the 1870s. And then in the 1880s, 1887, he goes into the Third East Kent and he's stationed down in uh, Canterbury. And they, he, he doesn't go overseas. He's been overseas with his father all of his life, but he doesn't go overseas. He's a sergeant and he, he, he literally trains. He's in E, e Company, uh, uh, the Third East Kent. So um, that's my second great-grandfather. And he's the only one that stays... Even though he, he, he travelled the world with his father, he's the only one that didn't see any action or didn't see any service. Okay, so he's a, he's an un, a one-off. He's an outlier. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. He served, but he, he, he and he did, he did quite well. He's, he, he went up in the ranks really fast, um, but he, he stayed at home. Um, but he had a son, which is my great-grandfather, and my great-grandfather first joins the Ferdies Kents in 1889, he joins his dad's regiment, but transfers to the newly formed Army Service Corps, um, which was formed in. Uh, he joins in March 1899. I think they would they they would only only because the Army Service Corps was changed from the Wagoners to, uh, and it was actually formed into the, what is now what was then the Army Service Corps. He was good with horses for some reason. Um, I don't know if it's all related to a forge, blacksmiths, horses. I don't know. Um, but he he then goes uh, into the Army Service Corps, and in in eighteen in nineteen hundred um, he goes to South Africa on SS Persia with the Army Service Corps, and he's attached as a driver because they're short of drivers. He's attached to the Thirteenth Royal Field Artillery, and he fights the actions in South Africa, which is the Battle of Lands Neck. He's with Buller. He travel he's with Buller most of the time all the way up to um up to Lands Neck and then um when the thirteenth field regiment get posted to India he goes back to the Army Service Corps and he stays there to February eighteen oh two and then he uh he stays, stays in the regular he stays in the regular army. You know, SS Persia, I've got a feeling that it was a very famous ship that was sunk during the First World War, wasn't it? I think it was, yeah. I, I think you're right, Dan. When I was when I was uh, going through the embarkation returns and stuff, and I was looking at the ship, I believe it was. Yeah, I, I do believe so. There's some mad story around the, the woman who was on the front of the Rolls-Royce was either on it or was saved from it or died on it. Anyway, I'll, I'll have to look that one up. So he comes back in one piece from the Boer War. He does, indeed, yeah. Um... Um, he gets his second good conduct stripe there. Um, he does really well. And then in 1915, uh, in 1914, when the war starts, in 1915, he's 
attached to the Royal Naval Division, a 279 company, uh, Army Service Corps, attached to the Royal Naval Division, and they sail on uh, SS Minitonka to Egypt. Um, from there, he goes on to Gallipoli. He's 42 when he's on Gallipoli. He gets his third uh, good conduct strike as well. Um, he's, on, he's on Gallipoli. He then comes back after Gallipoli, he's back in Egypt, and he's uh, transferred to the 53rd Welsh Division. And then he's attached to the Camel Brigade for a while, um, for four months. And then from there, he goes back to the 53rd Division and he's, he's attached to the first of the first the Royal Welsh uh, Field Ambulance as a driver. And yeah, he goes in the Palestine campaign. So he, he goes all the way through the Palestine campaign of 1917. And then he gets malaria in 1918, in October 1918. He's actually in a field hospital in, uh, in Jerusalem. Um, and then he, he comes back in 19, uh, 1919, he's, he's back here, he leaves the army in uh, August, the 26th of August 1919, um, and retires. He, he must have, he, I think he did something in the Second World War because he has, he has another medal, uh, he has the, uh, the Defence Medal for some reason, we don't, we don't know what that's for though, we, we're really trying to find out what, what that's for. Oh, if you find out, let me know. That's an extraordinary career. Boer War, First World War and Second World War. That's that. Well, anyone let me know. Um, tweet me or send me an email if, there's, if anyone can find anyone who's served in all three, has medals from all three conflicts. That's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, we have, we've, got, we've, got, we've got everything. We've actually got all the documentation, all the photographs. We've got hundreds of these postcards that go back hundreds of years. Not hundreds of years, hundred years before 1900. We don't know where. It's just a whole stack of these postcards. Nothing written on them, and they're all from. We've got some from Aqaba, you know, some from Egypt, some from all over the place, and they're, they're all originals. Um, so Arthur Joseph Darren, that is, that's my great grandfather. So he had three sons. So the first son is my great uncle, um, and he's uh, Arthur Richard, and he joins. Ganges, HMS Ganges in 1909 as a boy. And he serves, uh, he's two years in Ganges and enough 12 years in uh, as an able seaman all the way through. And he's at the Battle of Dogger Bank. And uh, at the end of the war, he's actually, I've got photographs of him because he goes to the Mediterranean and on the ship he's on, HMS Humber, he's um, blockading Aqaba uh, after Aqaba's been captured, of course. And then um, he, as a photograph, he sees his father, and there's a photo of them, both of them together. Um, so his father's in the army, and he's in the, his son's in the navy, and they have a photograph together. And, um, he's in after that. He's he's sent to the Baltic Sea at uh, the Russian Revolution. So uh, he's he, there's stories that we've got that he uh, they rescued uh, a part of the Russian royal family. Uh, they took it off. I think he's in Latvia. They took they took him off on a ship. So that's my great uncle. Then you've got my grandfather. The fathers, the fathers of the fathers, they don't stop their children joining the army. So my grandfather, who joined the army in uh, 15, lied about his age, said he was 17, joined just a, uh, he joined a, a territorial regiment, which is uh, the 6th Battalion, the Middlesex. So when he gets to 16, he enlists into the 1st Battalion Royal Welsh Fusiliers, because my, gran my grandmother is Welsh, uh, my great-grandmother is Welsh. So he joins the 1st Battalion Royal Welsh Fusiliers and then he's, he goes to Ireland, Malta comes back and then he's in, they're attached to the 7th Division and he 
he's at the first battle of Ypres and he's he's wounded and captured at Ypres, um, sent to a, a prison camp at an awful time. It, the camp they sent him to first, he was forced into it. They were forced into uh, coal mines and they were they they were they were regular army, so they were being a bit stubborn and they refused to go in. So they were they were kept in the cold, uh, literally made to stand in the freezing cold. Um, and then someone told him it was warmer underground. So <laughs> that's the story that we've got. So he was down the mine, and then as, there was one German guard who was uh, picking on another soldier, and he defended him, and he got his face smashed in. He, half of his face was scarred where the German guard beat him. Um, he came back in the 2nd of December 1918, nine, yeah, 1918. Stayed into the Royal World Fusiliers till 23, and then transfers to, he joins the TA in 24, um, the 6th Battalion Essex. Stays with the 6th Battalion Essex all the way through the interwar years, up to 38, and then called to full-time military service. And he's, the 6th Battalion, the Essex becomes a searchlight regiment. So he's with that, and then there's an incident in 1940. He gets on his records. It gets burnt really bad. We don't know why. Um, he's he's up in um, Norfolk, but he gets burnt extremely badly. Um, and then he's put in hospital. And when he comes out, he's transferred to the fourth um, uh, light aircraft, and he stays there all the way through the war. So he leaves. He joins in 1911, and he leaves. Um, in June 1945, and then there's my my other my youngest boy, the great uncle. He, he's he's got the one of the most interesting. Um, he joins the Navy, Ganges, 1918, February 1918, and he goes all the way through. And then he in the early 20s, he goes to HMS Dolphin and becomes uh, uh, on submarines. So he's on the L16, the H49, the L16, the L18. Um, he's on the Repulse and on the World Tour of 1923, um, and then the Second World War comes. Um, he's on Brilliant at Dunkirk, HMS Brilliant, which we've got photographs of, of him on there. Um, and then in 42, he's put on HMS Poppy, and he's at PQ 17. And then he's at uh, Normandy uh, with the Royal Navy there. Um, uh, Uncle Charlie, Charlie Darren, um, um, and he he leaves in 45. Ends up working for Shell, goes to America, um, lives in his older years. He died in 2000, Dan, 98 years of age. They all live to a long, they all live to an old age. There's not one of them that dies young. They all live to a very long age. This is After Dark, myths, misdeeds and the paranormal. The podcast that takes you to the shadiest corners of the past, unpicking history's spookiest, strangest and most sinister stories. I'm Maddie Pelling. And I'm Anthony Delaney. Join us every Monday and Thursday and we'll take a look at the darker side of history from haunted pubs to Houdini to witch trials and arsenic-laced breakfasts. Follow After Dark, myths, misdeeds and the paranormal wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage, add unlimited photos and videos, and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's get to your dad. So it's, it's my uncles, not my dad. It's my it's, yeah, it's my uncles because um, I'm the son. My mum, my father left when I was two, so I'm the son of I'm the grandson of Frederick George Darren, which is the one who served in um, my. I've got my my father, my grandfather's name, my mum's name. Uh, my father left when I was two years of age. Um, and we didn't see him, and I was brought up. See all these stories. I was I was taught by the women of the family, not the men. I was taught by the women. It was the women that told me. I was eight years of age, and my aunt was ill, and uh, I used to have to take. She had to stay in the house, and uh, I used to have to take shopping round for her every day after school, and uh, she'd give me a, a slice of Swiss roll. And she would, there was photographs on the wall of my grandpa, she would tell me all these stories about India, about the Boer War. And that's, that's how I first started learning about all this. And it was after I went into the army at uh, 17, when I came out, uh, they, 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 she died a, a year later. Um, she was really, uh, she was more ill than I, I knew. I was only a kid, so I didn't know. But uh, the story stuck with me, and it was because of that that when I came out of the army, I decided to research the whole of the family. So wait, we got that, but the, your, your, so your uncles, they were after the war, were they? No, 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 my, my, well, you could say, I suppose it's the near the end of the war. My uncle, Arthur, Joseph Darren, um, he uh, went in, in April 45. Uh, he was sent to Egypt. Um, he was with the 51st, a training regiment RA he was on self-propelled guns and then he was sent to the meds in uh, end of 45 uh, to guard which is ironic really to guard Africa Corps um, prisoner of war so his father was a prisoner of war to the Germans and he's and 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 his son was guarding German prisoner of war um, and then he was his job was to transport they were transporting them to um, through Palestine to to what is Tel Aviv and then across to Cyprus to build the camps there. You know because you've got um, the, the Jewish ref- refugees coming from from the, they built the camps on Cyprus 
and he was actually in in Israel when it was created he actually in 1947 um, he was actually there when it was uh, so he did he was a sergeant as well and he came out and then my other uncle um, he didn't have a, a very interesting he was a corporal he was a batman to an officer uh, and he spent three years only um, and then my cousin my cousin he their son my cousin joined the army in 1966 and he was just stationed at Salisbury he came out in 71 and I joined in 80 the 4th of November 1980 because of the influence of the family and then I went to Germany I was in Canada um, mainly Cold War they call it now don't they so uh, and and I I didn't have a, a very exciting uh, career but I did six years I came out then I went on reserve and then um, I went back again in 2012 as an instructor um, and I, in London district and I taught uh, until 16. Um, I have diabetes now then so um, I couldn't uh, and I was getting older. And, and, yeah, and that happens to all of us buddy and I've got to ask what is is there another generation behind you? Um, there could be yeah um, we have a, a, a a nephew, a boy, he, he came down to, because, you know, who do you think you are, did the magazine, I took him to the photo shoot, he's joining cadets, he's coming of age uh, uh, in December of 12, and he he's itching to join cadets, he's really itching, so uh, he knows the family, and he's, he's the only one to actually, my son has uh, Crohn's disease, so there's no way he can join, and he's studying at Brighton University. Uh, and uh, my daughter works for the court, so um, there is there is always a one member that's that, that pops up that that itch, that's itching to do it. You know, we hear a lot about the effect of combat of service. Um, it can it can lead to mental health problems. It, it can lead to, but it also can lead to positive mental health outcomes. In, in your family, when when people were talking about it, did all these people? Were they all glad that they'd served or did some of them regret it? Some of them bad experiences? No, no, no. Looking through the records, I found, actually, I found with my third great-grandfather, when he came out of, after the Maori War, on his records, it says he has palpitations of the art uh, from long service. But, and, and he has, they said he has heart problems, but he lived to 1899. So I don't, we, me and my cousins would, would go, we don't, we believed he had post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, he was at the Battle of Maharajpur. That was a frontal attack. He was in Afghan, the first Afghan war. They marched miles. They never had the transport that they have today, you know, and he lived to 1899. Now, if he had an heart disease in the 1860s, I don't believe he would have lived all the way to 1899. We believe that he had some form of post-traumatic stress disorder with the palpitations, uh, exhaustion, literally. Um, and the same with my grandfather. My grandfather um, was the most kindest individual. He never ate his children, but I think he, my nan bought some black bread one day um, in the 1930s and she had it on the table and he threw it through the window. He'd never been angry. He didn't eat his children. He wasn't violent to his children, but he wouldn't eat black bread because as a prisoner of war, he was given porridge made of grass, um, coffee made of acorns and black bread. And he, he just couldn't 
it just, I don't know if it brought back memories or what, but that was the only time he actually got aggressive in that. But there are, there's this, you know, um, we're f fully aware of, you know, I've sat down, my cousin's putting a book together with this. He's a grammar school boy, his literacy's absolutely fabulous. So I've been doing the research and we've been going down to Kew quite a lot and being, um, the uh, British Library to the Orient or Indian office uh, and getting all the documents together and put it together. So each generation will tell the next ones that it's worth doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, we, we, they, there's so much, when, when we're told stories, we're told stories in, in a way of, you know, my greatest grandfather, the one that was a Marine, couldn't read or write. It was the army that it was the Royal Marines that taught his son to read. It was the Royal Marines that gave him a pension before pensions were even uh, out into civilians. You know the education system in the army. All all my grandfathers going back went to school, army school, and and their their children were educated. So there's the downside of of the wars. You know the suffering that goes, but there's also the other side of it is, is the army looked after our family and educated the children. Every single one, uh, nearly, ev nearly every single birth in my family is an army chaplain return. They all were baptised by army chaplains within the regimental records. When you go online and you look up our names, Carberries and Darrens, there's just rows of children born of army chaplain returns all around the world. We have no, if so, when people say to me, where does your family come from, Dan? They say, what county do they come from or what part of Britain? It's really hard to, to answer because they were born in Tasmania. They were born in India. They were born all over the place. They wasn't in one county. They, we, can't, we haven't got a fixed borough for way. We are not an East End. We're not East Enders and we're not Northerners. We're not Welsh and we're not Scottish. We are, we, we just have moved around so much that um, we're just British, really. We are British. We, we have no, you know, someone said to me, did, you know, as a joke once, your family don't have a coat of arms, it just has battle honours, just as a, as a crack. Um, you know, we was in one regiment from 1808 until 1862. That's a long time. Well, when the book comes out, let me know and I'll make sure all the people on the podcast hear of it. Um, and thank you for sharing that extraordinary story. And if there's anyone listening to this that thinks they can match that, I will definitely have them on the podcast. That is that is, that is remarkable. And, uh, and yeah, let us know what that little nephew of yours decides to do. Well, he's, he's itching. He's a bit scared. He, well, he is a bit scared. It's a bit like um, well, I was. I was a bit scared. You know, it's a bit like the opening scene of The Four Feathers, you know, when you're walking up, the, st the young lad's walking up the stairs and there's all his ancestors behind him and it's like, am I going to, am I going to be good enough sort of thing? Uh, and he said that to me already, actually, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a bit, but um, once you get in there, once you get into it, once you just follow orders and do as you're told and uh, keep your kit clean and stuff, um, it's not that hard, really. It's a good crack. It's a good laugh. It's a good laugh. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Dan.
Hi everyone, it's me, Dan Snow. Just a quick request. It's so annoying and I hate it when other podcasts do this, but now I'm doing it and I hate myself. Please, please go onto iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps, basically boosts up the chart, which is good. And then more people listen, which is nice. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. I understand if you don't subscribe to my TV channel. I understand if you don't buy my calendar, but this is free. Come on, do me a favor. Thanks. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.